Hi, everybody. This is Peter Vassler from ESEC Lending, and we're back with another episode of ESEC Lending Insights Podcast. I'm joined by my familiar crew here, Brooke Gilman in Vermont and Jim Maroney in Dartmouth, Massachusetts. How are you guys doing today? Very well, thanks. It's Friday. Good. All right. Excellent. Well, today I thought we were going to talk about something different in that we're often talking about beneficial owners and what they can do with their programs or how their programs are changing. Today, we kind of want to talk about what the borrowers want. And as a lender, as a beneficial in the market, you should really always want to know how to make yourself a more attractive lender to the borrowing community, which is going to obviously enhance your revenue. I'll turn it over to Jim to give us some broad strokes on that, you know, how a lender can be attractive to a borrower. Thanks, Peter. Why don't we start with what a borrower wants, what their desired goal is. They need access to securities where the demand is higher than the supply. And they need to satisfy bank requirements, which in many cases is financing. So those are their two core goals. Take care of their customers by accessing the hard to borrows, because that's many times what the hedge funds will come to them and stay with them for. And then funding, self-funding in many cases. So when they look at agent lenders, they want one thing. When there's look through to the beneficial owners, they'll want another. And so on the beneficial owner side, there's the obvious passive assets are better than active assets. It gives them a level of stability that they wouldn't otherwise get under that same umbrella of stability, which is really key to those hard names. The last thing they want to do is is put a customer into a short and then lose coverage on that short and have to close them out. That's really problematic from a relationship standpoint, from a prime's perspective. So under that umbrella of stability, they like beneficial owners who don't recall for proxy. Doesn't mean they won't borrow a hard name from them, just means that's a preference. Record date recalls is painful. QDI recalls or gross ups can be painful for borrowers. So it's really at the margin though. If it's something that's trading at 50%, they're gonna borrow it and they'll take the risk. But if it's something trading at 2%, that's 70% utilized on the street, they may look to a proxy recall, record date recall, or QDI, retail sensitive client. They'll look to them last. And then of course, there's collateral flexibility, really important to them. It varies broker to broker. So I can't say non-cash is what everybody wants or cash is what most want. So it's the flexibility, even within the non-cash is important to them. They prefer tri-party even though a broker pays for it, a lender does not. They prefer the ease of tri-party, the way they can move collateral around nice and easy as opposed to bilateral. From an agent lender standpoint, they want predictability. They want sensibility. So when they look at our team, the primes are willing to pay to borrow stock. They're not looking for something free, but there is this transparency through to their hedge funds where they need somebody to be reasonable. You can't lend something at a 2% and then the next day demand it goes to 20%. In those cases, if you're unreasonable, a borrower many times has to eat that cost. They can't pass it along because of the transparency. And then they're less likely to borrow those asset types from you in the future. So they look for that kind of sensibility from an agent lender. They look for creativity around whether it comes from your legal group or it comes from your product group or from your trading group. They want creativity that they can execute on. So they'll have requirements that are maybe term or fee for hold contingency requirements. They may want uh, pledge versus transfer collateral. They may need RWA buckets. All that, if they can get that from an agent lender and ultimately the beneficial owners, they'll look to do more marginal business with those same Benny owners and agent lenders. So Jim, if predictability and stability are two of at least the first things that they would want and want to rely upon sort of in that lender relationship, 
first maybe through an agent lender and then on to the ultimate underlying beneficial owner. How do they actually manage it on sort of a trade by trade basis with agent lenders and the underlying beneficial owners? Because there's so many variables that you just referenced. So how does it work? And I appreciate agent lenders different from one another in terms of, you know, perhaps the transparency that they have to the borrowing community for their underlying beneficial owners. But how does a borrower kind of manage all those variables to know whether they should be borrowing XYZ security from, you know, person A or person B or C, given all of those variables sort of in the moment or through their automated trading or their systems? It's a good question. We're a little different at ESEC. So I'll start with my perception of the way others, brokers manage, uh, say, uh, commingled or omnistructured agent lenders. Business is very portable. So you can reward or disincent behavior from a trading desk. And so it is region by region, which breaks you up by asset class. So you'll have the US guys, the UK guys, folks out in Hong Kong all behave a little bit different from a desk standpoint. So the desk heads manage relationships and they will pull or add business based on behavior at a QCIP level and try and predict that stability or lack of stability. So many times you don't get a look through to clients. You you do it in ESEC or anybody who's disclosed. And I I think that's an advantage when it comes to assessing predictability or assessing behavior on a go forward basis. And so we're able to capture additional balance that way when we guide them towards stability, if that's what they require in a certain region, in a certain asset type or asset class. We distribute stock through both discretionary and exclusive. And in many times, an exclusive is a direct route to stability. You don't have to worry about price instability, behavior of the agent lender. You don't have to worry about any sort of bad behavior when it comes to the operational flow. You just you pay for it up front. You know what you have, and that gives you that stability. So Many times you'll see that where there's a lot of intrinsic value, small caps or uh, no-fail markets where you have zero flexibility around losing a borrow, you buy it up front. So there's different ways to achieve that stability from a borrower's perspective. We try and provide it in a couple of different ways. Jim, in the discretionary market, when you were saying reasonability, it was, I think, on rate, right? So you're not whipsawing people every day. How do you manage that with all the data services and the desire for us to outperform the market, how, how do you manage those two things? The same way that a borrower looks at us and tries to determine behavior in advance, we do the same with brokers. And so we know those who will work with us in certain spaces and those who won't. And we never try to fill somebody up, even if they have desire to borrow, if we don't think they're going to work with us on rates such that we can outpace market. So it's tricky, and that is the devil in the details in terms of trying to manage brokers and trying to outperform your peers. You don't want to always be the best rate because then you're always going to be the first return, right? Yeah, that's the old adage is you don't have to be the top rate because that means you're the first to be returned. But you can be the top rate and have arrangements and agreements with who you're doing business with that you don't want to get returned, but you need to maximize revenue. As do they, you're fighting for the same nickel. And so really understanding the other person's platform fully and knowing where they have room and where they don't helps us decide where to move and distribute stock to so that we can maximize it for the clients. And Jim, you talked about creativity earlier, which is sort of an interesting one because you don't always think of creativity being important in the world of securities finance just because it's a, you know, not, not a inherently creative industry. <laughs> But I recognize how you use that phrase and that, you know, there are certain trade types or trade structures that if people are 
willing to think outside the box or perhaps look at language differently and contracts or, you know, terms differently that may be more advantageous to a borrower that would still be acceptable to the underlying lender, that there's a benefit there. But can you give some sort of the types of things you're talking about with creativity on what's important to borrowers and how they think about it? Yep. So creativity could be substituted with solution. They want you to help them solution. Many times it's for regulatory requirements or bank requirements. And I think they're a borrower doesn't have a whole lot of choices when it comes to reaching out to agent lenders and and saying, hey, help me solution for this. And the reason for that, I think, is that many of the large custodial lenders are more machines and they do a lot of things well, but one of the things they don't do that well is have direct access and touch points with their client base and understand exactly the risk tolerances and the flexibility a client may have. And so they would come to somebody like an ESEC or somebody with connectivity to their clients looking for those solutions. So it could be, hey, I don't need to borrow this today, but I'm willing to pay you to borrow it in the future under a different structure if you could put that together for me. So we can then take that to a client. In an aggregate level, you can't really solution or help that person. Sorry, you know, either borrow it from me off of auto borrow or call the desk. But here, we're able to kind of bucket that up as a trade and try and get them access to supply that they're trying to get access to. Pledge is another one where people want to Instead of transferring collateral, they want to pledge the collateral. And so many of the large agent lenders have already come up with solutions for pledge and offering it, but it really requires conversations with clients and seeing if they're willing to accept that, do that, at what price, bucket that business, and then offer inventory to the clients. Any sort of term structure, what single name term is a good one. So, you know, if we know a client has a core holding of SPY and we're willing to lend that out for six months, a year, 18 months, because they know they're going to hold it, we can get paid those premiums. And that really is a solution for a borrower, maybe against a Delta One product or a derivative on the other side. They really need that term. You can't necessarily get that just off the shelf anywhere in securities lending. No, I agree. We're not really that creative. Otherwise we wouldn't be in this business, but it is uh, it's more solution, I guess. Right. Okay. And can you go back to, let's go back to RWA because I know we understand what that means. And at a high level, you know, we understand how that matters to borrowers and their own internal business and how they manage their exposures. But can you maybe explain it to perhaps beneficial owners that could be listening that wouldn't have as much familiarity and wouldn't understand how they might compare to other beneficial owners out there from a borrower perspective? So each borrower is a little bit different, but it's essentially a cost to a borrower of withholding capital versus a client type. And so some are more expensive than others. And so the preference would be to do business when you're talking about scale business, so GC or easy borrows. Talk about scale business, you want to do it with the guys who are less penal from a capital perspective as a bar. So it varies in terms of different applications of RWA. It goes both ways. Banks who lend also have RWA requirements in many cases. And so the broker dealer, they do business, a broker dealer is more expensive than doing business with a bank, um, for instance. So it goes both ways. But the reason it matters is in a disclosed lending program like ESEC runs, borrowers can choose who they do business with based on RWA. So a lot of times, an RWA match with a, a prime and our a beneficial owner results in more business on the GC side. Whereas you go somewhere else, 
when you get moved around, if there is no solution from that agent lender in terms of guiding somebody towards RWA, a lot of times it's just a reallocation system and you don't know exactly who you're borrowing from at point of trade. That can get pretty expensive from an RWA capital standpoint if you don't know who you're borrowing from upfront or consistently, which is what you get from somebody who's disclosed. So Jim, I know this has come up a couple of times, but if, if you're lending specials and you're basically an intrinsic value lender only, a lot of this flexibility and borrower preference is obviously not as important. Is that fair? So people who have those types of programs don't really need to be as sensitive to this because everything they have is what's wanted and what's desired. And so borrowers kind of throw some of the stuff out the window. Maybe. I think when you think about exclusives though, the intrinsic value, all the variables around it, whether it's the collateral you accept, whether you're passive versus active, um, you have a low turnover business, you track an index tightly, all that matters and generally fetches higher premiums in our options. For an exclusive, yeah. Yeah, but for specials. So through a discretionary program, because of that opaqueness, you don't know what you're getting. Generally, you don't get that premium. But for intrinsic value, and that's why we do so well selling specials and intrinsic value through the auctions is because they know what they're getting up front. So they're willing to pay extra for it. But in a discretionary lending program, sometimes you don't know, especially if it's not disclosed. So they'll still borrow it, but you know, they'll borrow it. And if it's a 5% stock, you know, I'd much rather get paid 6%. You talk about how to outperform, Peter. That's one of the ways you, yeah. you blend discretionary and exclusive, and you put the assets that fetch for the passive index tracker who has a Russell 2 portfolio, you put that into an exclusive, you get that premium in an aggregate, you're going to outperform, I think. The other thing that I know you've mentioned in the past is when you do an exclusive, the borrower has a direct kind of connection to the beneficial owner, and they like that as well. Is yep. that right? It is, yeah. Uh, in many cases, I guess sometimes it really doesn't matter, but if you have a high profile lender or a lender that a particular bank has a relationship with and you are another touch point off of a prime desk, that has value. They definitely see value in that. And so, you know, again, that is, you talk about all the various reasons somebody might pay more than market for an exclusive. I put that in that category. How important is electronic trading and being able to participate in that and good connectivity and seamless operations around that piece? Because for GC, I think that's a big factor. That's a good point. I completely forgot about it. It's extremely important to borrowers is the ease. Everybody is thin on the desk. And so to have to do everything manually makes you inefficient and less focused on pricing and more focused on getting your workload done. So it's mandatory, I think, in today's market that you have connectivity on an automated basis, whether it's to borrow or for the returns or everything in between. The automation, there aren't many borrowers out of the 50 or so that we do business with that aren't automated for the most part, most of their business, whether it's borrowing or returns or operations. And is it 100% of our GC that's going auto-borrow? No, no, but it's a core piece of it, majority of it. But you have, there's different reasons we'd want to reach out to somebody and do manual GC. They have late-day needs. They'll do big tickets with us. If we have late-day needs, it goes the other way. So the GC is a focus for the traders, but a small focus. Most GC is done by 30 a.m. every morning through an auto-borrow system. I know there's a lot of, and have been for years, sort of industry surveys that are managed where borrowers rate lenders and lenders rate borrowers, or at least the agent lenders, I should say. Do you think that, you know, that the specials versus GC trade that historically really drove this industry, 
and I know still exists, but maybe less today than however many years ago in at least parts. Do you still think that borrowers from a lender perspective still very much view the market in terms of like ranking of they have strong preferences to do business with certain lenders out there? Or do you think that that has changed and evolved because of a lot of things we've been talking about today? Yeah, that's a complicated question, I think. The borrowers value breadth of supply, which always comes out in those surveys. And it's really important to them to have a breadth of supply. Wherever demand outstrips supply, they want you to have supply. So in those surveys, all the the biggest are always better for the most part. But then if you dig down, you can see that they generally don't want to have to pay the tax of giving somebody GC to get the specials. They really just want to, there's so much transparency. Everybody knows where every stock trades. There's much less gray today than there was 10 or 15 years ago. Right. So if you think about it from a borrower's perspective, they'll pay X for a special and that's pretty transparent. You see it on all the vendors, but then they also have to give Y on the GC side, which is also a cost. That model is a little bit more expensive than somebody like us who offers specials and specials, and then we distribute through exclusives. So we don't look necessarily to leverage one portfolio off the other. We don't actually think it's being disclosed. We don't think it's fair to a small cap only portfolio manager because we lend his assets. Somebody who's a large, somebody who owns the Dow 30 gets that stock out as a model because we're lending that small cap. That doesn't really... Yeah, it's one client subsidizing another client, essentially, which isn't the way that we think it should be done. But yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. So keep going. Yeah, no. So my point is, I just think you're right. There is less of that today than there was even just a couple of years ago because of the fairness. And it doesn't make sense. And given the fact that you can, there's look through on pricing on almost everything. Like I said, the bars are willing to pay. So when you have to pay plus give, it's a little bit different, you know, so at the margin business now, they prefer to give it to somebody who is creative and solutioning for them, as opposed to somebody's holding them hostage. You'll get my hearts if you give me the easies. Thanks for the discussion. I think it was a good one. You know, it's always an interesting thing as a beneficial owner to think about how the other side thinks, what their priorities are, what makes you an attractive lender to them. So hopefully that's been helpful and you've, you've taken a few nuggets as far as trying to optimize your program, whether you're a specials lender, a GC lender, or you know, you're doing both. Hopefully you got something out of this and we'll call it a day. Thanks, Brooke. Thanks, Jim. And, I, think, uh, I think the next time we should also be talking about what lenders want from borrowers and what they sure. think is important. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's Great idea. Turn it around. Turn it around next week. I like it. Keep it, keep it fresh. All right. Thanks guys. All right. Talk to y'all soon. Thanks.